We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I want to start there because whenever you part way with a project, there's always misunderstandings. Yeah. And uh, you want to talk about why you left and why you're not there? I'm, no, it's just... I just uh, I just wanted to do something else. That was it. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's really much more to it. I wish I could say like something other than that, yeah. but I just I just wanted to do other stuff, other other stuff. Yes, I did. So I packed it up and brought it back to the crib. Just a little something, show you how we live. Everybody want it, but it ain't that serious. Mm-hmm. That's that. So if you gon' do it, do it just like this. We're here. I wish I could give this feeling. I wish I could give this feeling. What up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Corner Podcast. This week's episode of The Corner is brought to you by Casper Mattresses. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the cost. You know me and Andreas are always covering events. We're always writing articles. But when we do have time to sleep, we lay our head down on a nice, pillowy, soft premium mattress from Casper Mattresses. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and going straight to you. No showrooms, no middleman. Everyone's seen those creepy guys trying to follow you around the department store. None of that anymore. You get your hands on a nice premium mattress by going straight to Casper Mattresses. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I got to get my rest. So Casper Mattresses is the, is the goods. I'm telling you right now. So listen, you can get $50 off of any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com backslash the corner and entering the promo code the corner. That's one word, the corner. That's casper.com backslash the corner, promo code 
T-H-E-C-O-R-N-E-R. Terms and conditions apply. What up, everybody? Welcome to another week of the Corner Podcast. Shout out to the sponsors, like always. I'm Kel Dansby, here with Andreas Hale, like always. We are here to bring you wrestling, boxing, hip-hop, political talk, whatever there is going on in the world, you know where your one-stop podcast for that. It's great to get back into another week. We didn't have too much craziness go on in combat sports, but we both have, I guess, big things coming up. For me, new opportunities, which are really cool, um, that will be rolling out this week. You guys will see the podcast intro is a little bit of hint towards that. You guys will get it later on in the week, I'm sure. And then Andreas, Grammy time is coming up, and I saw you mention Chance, and you wrote again, um, third year in a row, right? Yeah, third year in a row this year. You know, Kanye, uh, three years ago, Kendrick, two years ago, this year I wrote Chance's bio for the Grammy program, which is kind of cool um, to get the opportunity to explain, you know, being somebody who's followed Chance since the 10-day mixtape, to be able to write about who he is to an audience that may just be getting familiar with who Chance is. So that was dope. Um, so I got to do that. I also got tasked with the uh, oral history of Beyonce's Lemonade, which was like, I couldn't talk about it to anybody, which was literally impossible to do. Shit, like, nobody on her team talk, and then go figure, she's pregnant. So, <laughs> I got, like, I got nothing. I, I literally got nothing. We had to piece together sound bites from other interviews, and, like, there's literally nothing on Beyonce really talking about this album. So, that was my other thing. Um, as far as Grammy weekend goes, I think this year I'm not really doing much, which is good. Uh, I think I'm just going to sit back and not necessarily watch it. I'm going to watch the highlights, because I can't really watch award shows. Yeah, you're you're not long. going again? You're passing up on the Grammys? No, I mean, we didn't even discuss it, to be honest. Um, you Usually know, two you're years, in the pit, right? Yeah, I did, I did the live blog in the pit, which was, I mean, which is, which is a great experience. But um, this year, I'm taking it, I'm, I'm being home. I, I, I don't th- I'm not going down there this year. Uh, they kind of scratched some of the live blogging segments, so they got only a couple of people. So if I were to go, I'd just be doing some red carpet stuff, which I don't care to do. So I'll be at home <laughs> with the rest of y'all. Hey, uh, nothing wrong with that. I'm sure we got stuff to watch that weekend anyway. We do. We do. We have lots to watch that weekend. But, I mean, this podcast this week, I know a lot of people are tuning in for, for one reason in particular, uh, to follow up on what we talked about last week. And I, I didn't realize how much of a can of worms that shit would open. I'm telling you, there's a clear divide in 90s Shawn Michaels fans and 90s Bret Hart fans. It's... In my mind, and after I saw everyone commenting and the passion people had about it and people checking out the poll and voting, it's like Tupac versus Biggie. Yeah. It's, you know they're both great, but you really have to be on a side. There was no middle ground. Like, yeah, I see your point. No, either people were with me or they were with you. There was no middle ground. That was amazing. I mean, it was, it was looking at the responses. I just put the question out there thinking a few people will respond. Facebook lit up, my Twitter lit up, people were texting me. Like I'm like, yo, this is like a I never realized how much of a conversation this was. And and I guess the qualifier is the fact that we're talking about the nineties. Because once you get into the two thousands, you know, Shawn Michaels had this incredible second run that put him into the com- the true conversation as greatest of all time. But you know, but when you just talk about the nineties, there is a legit debate to be had. Yeah, and I, after, you know, taking the week and revisiting everything, I stand put in Shawn Michaels was better than Bret Hart in the 90s. 
He was okay. definitely more impactful. Um, I took in what everyone was saying about the match quality and the rivalries, um, the feuds Hart had in ring, and how he was able to maximize talent. But one thing I found after watching again and really looking into it is Shawn Michaels' impact in the 90s and further is unrivaled. Even if he never had a second run, he changed pro wrestling single-handedly. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to allow you to state your case, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit back and listen to this nonsense. Then I'll go ahead and say my piece. <laughs> all right, so for Shawn Michaels, at, after it all broke down, it's do you value Shawn Michaels' ability to build a feud and carry a company on the mic more than you value Bret Hart's ability to carry the company in the ring? And that's, that's, the, differential, that's the differentiating factor in the 90s. Because Bret Hart did it by whatever feud he was thrown in, and he was booked great. Whatever feud he was thrown in, he elevated the talent in ring. But he was never a great talker on the mic. His best mic work was done towards the end of his WWE run, when they finally turned the Hart Foundation heel, and he got on mic, and he just ripped American crowds. Before then, he wasn't a great person on mic. Early 90s, Anvil handled all the mic work. So, Shawn Michaels has always been charismatic. If you look back from... The day when he broke up with Janetti in the barbershop scene, all the way through the late 90s, the Takers run, the DX, he was the man on the mic throughout the decade. No one touched him as far as persona. And then when you break it down further, the people associated with Hart and then associated with Shawn Michaels and what they went on to do, Shawn Michaels beats that by a landslide. He, he's the Magic Johnson of the WWE. He assisted everyone. No one from the Hart Foundation ever won the world championship. None of them had ever become a heavyweight championship outside of Bret Hart. Shawn Michaels, on the other hand, Triple H held the WWE championship in the 90s. He got it late 99. Diesel won the WWE championship in the 90s. And China didn't win the WWE championship, but she won the IC championship. Only female do it. So... His impact on those who were underneath him were far greater than anything else. And then I break it down even past that. And Shawn Michaels was responsible for DX, greatest faction of the decade. The second DX run, because he set up Triple H to make that. And the NWO, because he put Diesel over, made Diesel a character. And that's the only reason Kevin Nash had the leeway to go to WCW and even form the NWO. And create that whole angle. So, Shawn Michaels had a hand in all of this in the 90s. The Attitude Era itself is halfway to thank for Shawn Michaels. If it was Stone Cold and Shawn Michaels, but more so Stone Cold with his McMahon feud and Shawn Michaels with the DX movement and just blatantly ignoring what you're supposed to say on television. And they sent him the letter that him and Triple H read and that segment was huge. And Vince was like, turn up the dial. We can now do anything. Huge turning point in the Attitude Era. So if you're looking 92 when Michaels became a solo guy all the way through about 99, Bret Hart can't compare. So you can bring up the five or six in-ring feuds and say, okay, Shawn Michaels needed gimmick matches. Sure. But Shawn Michaels had two five-star matches, according to Meltzer, and so did Bret Hart. Two five-star matches. They're even. It's a wash. So if you want to even go in-ring, they both have two five-star matches. Shawn Michaels won match of the year for the... um. Ladder match with Razor Ramon. His entering credentials hold up to Brett's. And on the mic, an impact in the 90s is far greater. That is my case.
<laughs> Boom. All right. So where do we want to start? <laughs> I, I love the snicker. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're like, a ev- like yeah. the evil guy in the movie. Okay. First and foremost, Bret Hart had three five-star matches, correct? And one of them was Two. with Shawn Michaels at a house show. Three. There were three. Three. Nin- oh. 92, 94, and 97. Um, but those are, yeah, I guess they both had three because the other ones were against each other. Sure. Okay. So your first statement, which I want to pick apart here, is you said Bret Hart was booked great. Bret Hart had a feud with Doink the Clown. That Jerry, was horrible. <laughs> Jerry Lawler, Bob Backlund, Hakushi, and made them all look great. So to say that Bret Hart was booked great is false. He was never truly booked great. He dealt with what he had. And this was after the steroid era when all the bodybuilders were either moving to WCW or just getting pushed back because of the, uh, the, whole, um, the whole steroid thing. So let's, let's disqualify that, that Bret Hart was booked great. He was still the top guy when he was having those matches, though, by the way. So it's not like those but, are mid-tier matches he's having against shitty people. He had like here, the belt having these against shitty people. Here we go. Here's one thing about Bret Hart that that Bret Hart, I mean, that Shawn Michaels never did. Bret Hart main evented a SummerSlam with the Intercontinental title against the British Bulldog. Shawn Michaels never headlined anything with the IC title. It was the first time it was ever done. And it ended up being an amazing match. Probably with, it was easily the best match of British Bulldog's career. And it was one of many of Bret Hart's great matches. If you want to talk about five-star matches, you can't just use two five-star matches because John Cena has a five-star match against CM Punk. And he's not in the same league as a technical wrestler as a Bret Hart. However, Bret Hart's mat- feuds and it, with Bob Backlund, he made that feud. With Owen Hart, he made that feud, which is a phenomenal feud. And when you say that Bret Hart wasn't good on the mic, Bret Hart carried that feud with Owen. Him and Owen had great back and forth. Now, in meanwhile, Shawn Michaels' run as a champion didn't happen until when? He beat Bret Hart. Prior to that, who was carrying the company on his shoulders? Internationally. We're not even going to talk about in just the States. Internationally, Bret Hart carried this entire company on his back. We all knew that Shawn Michaels had potential. But he didn't realize that potential until somebody named Bret Hart put him over. Speaking of putting people over, when you talk about the click, and when you talk about backstage political swag, that has nothing to do with the greatest of all time. Just because four guys formed a clique and then leveraged their political power doesn't mean that Shawn Michaels all automatically gets elevated. Where the elevation actually happens is in the ring. Who no, do you when, put- when you're the head of an amazing crew, no, it, it no. reflects on you. Just no. like if you're the head of a shitty crew. No, that's not true. <laughs> it clearly goes on your resume. The clique was behind the scenes. And it what came they to- did on screen. He got Diesel, who couldn't wrestle a lick, a title. In the midst of the Bret Hart run. But how does that... But did he put over Diesel? Or did they put over themselves? Diesel was his bodyguard. The only reason Diesel was over is because he turned on Sean. I let you talk. Let me finish. Continue. Bret Hart. (laughs) Sean, if you name all the people that Shawn Michaels put over in the ring, you'll come up with a grand total of zero. (laughs) Shawn Michaels didn't put over anybody until he was forced to, which is Stone Cold putting the strap on him at WrestleMania. Bret Hart. If you want to talk about the biggest superstar of the 90s was Stone Cold Steve Austin in the late 90s. And it went on to become the face of the Attitude Era ahead of Shawn Michaels, ahead of Diesel, ahead of everybody that you name. Who put him over? Bret Hart. Who carried that feud? 
Bret Hart. Name a memorable moment from the Shawn Michaels uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin feud. You can't because the only reason why that feud had heat was they installed Mike Tyson and the DX thing and the Vince McMahon thing. Shawn Michaels feuds never had as much heat as Bret Hart's greatest feuds. You talk about the Razor Ramon match. It was an IC title thing. Who was the real champ? Bret Hart versus Owen Hart was a much better feud. They had in-family heat. They carried the feud, and then they went on to have great matches. Bret Hart didn't need to have gimmicks to have great matches. Shawn Michaels did. Hell in a Cell and a ladder match are his, what, his two five-star matches? Correct. But after, oh, do you, do you want me to argue that Bret Hart didn't need gimmicks? Because Bret Hart's two five-star matches versus Owen Hart at SummerSlam 94, Steel Cage versus Stone Cold Steve Austin, WrestleMania 13, Submission. Both have stipulations. Let's also talk about Bret Hart and Owen Hart at WrestleMania and how great that match was. It doesn't have to be five-star. Like, we didn't try to use Dave Meltzer as the litmus no, test. No, I mean, he leaves a lot of stuff. 4.75s. He, he, the grading system's kind of weird. It, it, but if you look at like the five mics at the source. You look at the course of their careers. Bret Hart has had better matches. Period. That company, like, again, I think we've overstated Shawn Michaels' excellence because of his second run in the WWE. His first one wasn't that memorable. Once again, he does not compare. If the factor that I pointed out was, if you go by in-ring, Bret Hart is going to win it. If you go by overall, Shawn Michaels takes the cake. So In the 90s? In the 90s. So you have to judge whether... You can value Shawn Michaels' impact outside of the ring and his ability to put people over in feuds on a microphone versus no, gotta, Bret gotta, Hart's people, ability to do so in the ring. You have to put people over in the ring. That's what this sport is about, is putting people over in the ring. You no. only enhance talent because you have to have talent. You have to. You can be, and I'm not calling Shawn Michaels by any stretch of imagination, in the ring mediocre, but you can be mediocre to average above average and be an amazing person on the microphone and get a ton of people over who do okay so, so again what fuse was Shawn michael in that he put people over he created once again no no no, no. he created put, stars he, on the I, I, microphone no no, 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 no no i'm asking you a simple question who did he put over who did Shawn michaels lay on his back and get pinned and put over and allow them to become the a bigger ring. star. That is in the <laughs> ring. But against Diesel, that whole thing, the entire Diesel run, which ended up in Kevin Nash, was because of Shawn Michaels and their feud on the microphone. Wait, wait, wait. The Diesel run happened because who had the world title at the time? Bob Backlund. And Bob Backlund got, took the title off of who? Bret Hart. And then Diesel took the title off of Bob Backlund at a house show because house of the, show, swag, yeah. the, the swag backstage because of the click. I'm asking again. Who did Shawn Michaels put over and make better in the 90s? No one. He was on cocaine. He didn't do it in the ring. So okay, I'm not so arguing that he in the ring, I can understand why people say Bret Hart in the 90s okay. is the Look, greatest. It's, if, to use my Biggie versus Pac, Bret Hart is Biggie in this case. Wait, wait, pause. I want to I stay where we're at here. John, John Cena is his first run. What, what's the best part about John Cena right now? That he's adapted his style and he puts people over. Oh, okay. So but now that we've had the... Wait, wait, wait. Are we now comparing this to, you know, hip-hop John Cena? Because that was one hell of a run, too. No, no, no. no. We're going to talk about what has qualified John Cena and elevated him to the discussion as one of the greatest of all time. is the fact that he's engaged in these matches and has been willing to make stars out of Kevin Owens, AJ Styles. Like, he's put 
people over. Trey, Shop- they said they said he was one of the best before this two year run, and no, no, that's no. Only, and he didn't put people. I'm over, talking about and he was our conversation. Cena. Okay, I'm, I'm just talking saying, about our conversation. I don't, I don't care about the rest of the universe. When we started talking about John Cena belonging on this Mount Rushmore, we both agreed that his best run is when he started putting people over and having great matches. Correct. Shawn Michaels in the '90s didn't put people over. Like if if you if your whole thing is to win all the time and refuse and be a baby because that's who Sean was. But Sean was a baby. He, he admits was. it himself <laughs> that he can't put people over. That he has to get injured and leave. Like we have to also talk about that. He lost his smile. He had to leave. Bret Hart didn't lose his smile. Bret Hart engaged in feuds with Doink the Clown. Had a kiss my feet match with Jerry Lauder. He could have picked up his ball and left, but he stayed. And that should be worth something. Where Shawn Michaels. You want to talk about politically and, you know, Razor Ramon and them going to the NWO? Dude, the greatest faction was the NWO. And the greatest faction in the 90s was the NWO because of Hulk Hogan. Don't, don't yes. start another debate. Dude. <laughs> Do you really want me to compare the NWO to DX? You can go ahead and you can put a pin in that one. We can discuss that later. But the <laughs> NWO changed the entire business. And there's no doubt about that. The only reason DX was created was to be to go against the NWA because WCW was smoking WWF in the ratings at the time. So there's there's the NWO was the greatest faction. Now they fell apart down the line, but the impact that the NWO had was much greater than what DX had initially, and that's indisputable. Hulk Hogan turning heel was the biggest storyline ever in the history of wrestling. There's nothing else that matters that comes even close to that. But we'll go back to this whole Shawn Michaels thing because Shawn Michaels, again, Shawn Michaels didn't put people over. He had good matches, but his greatest matches were during his second act. And it, what, what other impact was there? Because when he was champion, how small was that window? That window wasn't that big. No, he was champion, what, twice during the 90s, actually. But the first window was about nine months, I, th- I believe. Now, name the Shawn Michaels feuds that you remember the most, and what about those feuds do you remember? Because we talk about great mic work and promos and what have you. What Shawn Michaels feuds do you remember, the, the details of the feud? I mean, the, once again, the two titles, <clears throat> never, <clears throat> never losing the Intercontinental title, coming back with the title still on him, him versus Razor Ramon, to see who the real champion was. That was a good feud. The... Um, Diesel turning on Michaels, I believe that was during the Psycho Sid feud. With, Do you remember? With Michaels and Psycho Sid. I, I don't remember when Diesel turned mm. on him. But I remember the Psycho Sid-Michaels feud. Um, I believe that's exactly when Diesel turned on him. So that was another good one. The Psycho Sid feud didn't bother me either. Like, that wasn't a bad feud. I, I didn't like Psycho Sid. But, I but was it memorable? Sean. What was the mic? Were the things in this feud memorable? Like when Sean, when 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 Shawn Michaels feuded with Diesel, how, what part of that was so memorable as opposed to when Bret Hart dealt with Owen Hart and the family angle and how that carried out? Well, I'll take or, Michaels Taker against that any day. You'll take Michaels Taker versus uh, over Bret versus Owen with the build up. I oh, like man. the build up of Michaels Taker, the, but once again, you have family. Wait, wait. That's another thing. You, you okay, have, okay, that's fine. like saying, oh, Kevin Owens versus Sami Zayn. Yes, I can do that a million times. Why? Because there's 20 years to pull from. That's fine. Now, was there a feud better that Shawn Michaels was engaged in the 90s that was better than Stone Cold and Bret Hart? You don't even try it. <laughs> well, that's oh. a loaded question because I would say Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart is better. But I can't no, include Bret Hart in that feud. 
<laughs> but I'm talking about the feud itself from from Bret Hart dealing with Stone Cold, the double turn at WrestleMania, like because you have to talk about in-ring work. And when you say, you know, you value the mic work versus the in-ring work, you have to talk about the in-ring work and how they executed that double, double turn perfectly at WrestleMania. That WrestleMania is not remembered for anything else other than the emergence of Stone Cold in that submission match with Bret Hart. Mm-hmm. And how Bret Hart turned heel at the time. And it was so memorable because Bret Hart was a baby face. And people couldn't believe the transition he was going through. Because, you know, you talk about mic work. But those promos that Bret Hart cut during the Stone Cold feud were some of his best work. And it carried through to the Hart Foundation feud versus Stone Cold and whoever the hell Stone Cold could find to be his friends at the time. <laughs> but that feud, the Bret Hart-Stone Cold feud, trumps anything that you're talking about with Shawn Michaels in the 90s. Look, I'll give you anything that you want from Shawn Michaels in the 2000s. I'll give you The Undertaker. I'll give you Kurt Angle. I'll give you Chris Jericho. All his best work was in his second I'll act. I'll take the Ric Flair feud. Listen, the in-ring psychology, and this is something else I talked about, Sean didn't care about in-ring psychology until then the 2000s. You, but how can you because give Because ta- his charisma and in-ring athleticism carried him and made him serviceable enough to show the parts of his character that were great, that Bret Hart favor. could never touch. Do me a favor. Look up who sold more merch at the time. Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels? All the way through yeah. the 90s. Mm-hmm. Are we including DX? Because DX trumps everything. No, no, no. We're not going to include a faction. That's like... No, oh, no. You can't leave out the faction. That's his faction. But So you're going to you're gonna attribute all the sales of DX to, to Shawn Michaels? Yes, because in the 90s, yes. Okay, so I'm gonna, here's what I'm going to attribute it to. You, you can't tell me that there was a hotter item than Bret Hart sunglasses at the time. No, the I night. had these sunglasses. You're yeah, you me, did. Like, did I, you I have bought a, the did sunglasses. Did you have a Shawn Michaels shirt? Not a DX shirt. Did you have a Shawn Michaels shirt? No, I had a DX shirt. Oh, uh, okay. So no, it counts. You can't discredit DX. Dude, but I, I had my I, DX shirt because of Shawn Michaels, not because of Hunter Hearst Helmsley. But the DX thing ran. Okay, so. I didn't buy it again, for China. I bought it for t- Shawn Michaels. We're going to talk about the window here. DX's window, the Shawn Michaels with DX in, the, in it, how long was that window? Year and a half. How long was Bret Hart's championship run? Uh, wait, two years? Two years for a DX. Two years. And it, it was Shawn Michaels in DX. Correct. Now, and that was what, towards the end of the 90s? So everything before that was pretty much Bret Hart territory. Mm, yeah. I mean, yeah. Shawn Michaels had it 95. I would say Bret Hart had a stranglehold on everything 92 to 95. 92 to, you'd say 92 to 95? You wouldn't go all the way up to 97? Because who no, puts it from 95 to 97? 95, 97, he had to put Sean over, and then Sean, do, well, if it wasn't for the drug problems, would have had the stranglehold on it then, but at least he split it. So, so it's not my, like he had the, the lion's share of it. That's the same thing is, of saying, like, after that, he, he effectively became The Rock. He was the guy who just put people over. He was always second fiddle to Sean, to Stone Cold, he was the guy who still had a ton of cred from the early 90s, and you can throw him in a feud to help other guys out. But he wasn't the man anymore. 92 to 95, he was the man. Like That's right. They're trying to say John Cena is not the man, even though when he didn't have the title. He was putting people over. That's his job. Bret Hart's job was to put people over. And, because Shawn Michaels could never make Stone Cold who Stone Cold was. So if, any, if anything of your, of your qualifying argument that uh, Shawn Michaels helped put the click over... Bret Hart put the biggest star of the Attitude Era over. Shawn Michaels could never do that. Oh, come on. He couldn't. I mean, the double turn is great and everything, once again, it worked out perfectly 
But to say that heel Shawn Michaels, which is always the best version of Shawn Michaels. Who you, again, who do you put Heel over? HBK versus Stone Cold, over? what it makes Stone Cold a babyface is a little crazy. Because I, I think Stone Cold would have been a babyface against heel Shawn Michaels and D-Generation X anyway. And we saw that when, when they went to WrestleMania and only the influence of Mike Tyson because Vince McMahon just wanted to be Vince McMahon and include Mike Tyson. That feud could have had legs... Far beyond Mike Tyson, and without his help, but it didn't. No, because Vince Shawn, went Vince. No, 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 no. Because Sean didn't put people over. It's really that simple. Sean didn't put people over. Because when Sean came back, he put people over. Sean didn't put Sean put Kurt Angle over in a, in a WrestleMania match that I was present for. He put Kurt Angle over. Old Sean would have never done that. No, old Sean was on so many drugs. So he was only about Dolo. When you talk about the influence over the business. Yes, Sean created DX and then left DX because he was hurt. So prior to that, this was all Bret Hart territory. So when you're talking about an era, Bret Hart is the better, is the most significant character of the era. He carried the WWF through the tough times. Shawn Michaels did not. There was no tougher times than when the NWO and WCW were rocking and Shawn Michaels was there for it. Shawn Michaels, DX, whatever it may have been, Shawn Michaels went through the tough times. Now, were they getting ass whoops in the, in the ratings? Sure. Would people blame Shawn for not putting people over for that? Maybe. Would they blame him not being like a gigantic face, and, you know, an, a gigantic person, and people having a tough time relating to the small guy champion? Maybe as well. But he took the company through the toughest times, not Bret Hart. Bret That's Hart bullshit. took the company through times when they had no competition. Wait, 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 wait. That's bullshit. Because Who were they Sean, competing with when Bret Hart was, was on listen, top of the company? Wait, 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 wait. They were competing with the NWO, I mean WCW, because Hulk, Hulk, everybody left to go to Ted Turner's company, and, and Ted Turner's company was creeping on the WWF at the time. Shawn Michaels was nowhere to be found. Shawn Michaels was involved with DX, but who turned the corner for his WWF? It wasn't Shawn Michaels. That version of DX, Shawn Michaels was gone. He was hurt. That was The Rock, Stone Cold. And Triple H is DX, whether you like it or not. Like the, the when they went to WCW headquarters, oh, no, Shawn, yeah, Michaels, no, Shawn, Shawn Michaels, Michaels wasn't was on that tank. No, he wasn't no, no. on that tank. They're the so ones who turned it. I said, who went through the rough times with the company? That was who Shawn. Lost, and who lost their smile during that time? Come on, man. Shawn, I mean, Shawn lost himself to drugs. Are we comparing drug listen, habits now? But <laughs> like, I'm just saying, like you, if, if somebody puts something I can't defend his drug habit. I, listen, that I can't somebody, defend. If somebody decides to leave, because they lost their smile, or they, they they don't want to put people over because Sean notoriously didn't want to put people over. Let's be real. The guy needed rehab, right? Like, what do you so think how, lost his smile you, meant? So if, let's just say, okay, so let's do this. Let's take Bret Hart out of the 90s. You think Shawn Michaels could have carried that company on his back? I do. With the drug problems, with everything you just mentioned, with his inability to put people over, with his drug problems, with his, his, his backstage issues, you think Shawn Michaels could have carried that company on his back? I do. It would have been, it would have been question. the click versus everyone else because that's what it ended up being. And they, they would have crashed and burned. But but name a time where Shawn Michaels carried that company on his back. Name because when we because this whole conversation started out with that Mount Rushmore era, Correct. and I said we put Bret Hart there, and you said Shawn Michaels. Yep. So I want you to answer me: When did Shawn Michaels carry WWF on his back? Are we now? Are we now comparing the level of competition around Bret Hart to the I'm, level I'm, of competition around Shawn Michaels? Very simple question. When was Shawn Michaels the face of the WWF? For about six months after he beat <laughs> Bret Hart. Like, if you want an honest answer, right? Like, six, 
Six months. It's about six months. Like, I have to say, six. honestly, six months. But six that, months. that is because of the development of characters like Stone Cold Steve Austin, like Rocky Maivia turning into The Rock, bringing in a character like Mankind that no one saw having the personality and, I guess, the charisma that he ended up having. These Why are you people, giving me qualifiers? It was six months. Those people grew into stars. So, so that basically, so it's they, like they, Bret they Hart. Were, there was no one they, else around Bret Hart that grew into stars besides Shawn Michaels. So, who dominated that era then? In which I think Shawn Michaels was going to take the strap off of Bret Hart and uh, got popped for steroids in like '93, and ended up domi- being suspended for like six months. Uh, we're not we're not talking about hypotheticals. Who dominated that era then? It was Bret was- Hart for three years. Okay, '92 right. to '95 was all, all Bret Hart. Case, case I can't argue that. Case closed. <laughs> Shawn, Michaels, close. Shawn Michaels never carried the company on his back. He never carried the company. Impact. On his back. We're talking years versus lasting impact. What is Mount Rushmore about? <laughs> like, <laughs> we're talking about eras because Mount Rushmore is a president during a particular era. Correct. Talking, and you listen, I'll throw a president up there who had a four a four year term with one that had an eight. So we're talking about years. We're talking about impact. Wait, well, so who are you talking about? Just in general, like Sean's years were shorter than Brett's, but what he did with them in the lasting impact. I would the say Sean la- was better. What was the lasting impact? What was the lasting impact in the nineties? Like seriously, because like the the reason that we don't talk about Brett in the WWF as could, much as we did is because of how Bret Hart left the company, which because, should make him even more nostalgic. No, no because for, no, he's the screw not. job. He looked he looked great coming out of the screw job. But to Vince, do you think Brett looked great to Vince? No, Vince I, hated it, but we all loved it. Okay, so so that automatically elevated Sean, right? Because Brett wasn't talked about in the WWF and WWE for all those years until right before uh, WrestleMania in Arizona, whichever the WrestleMania with the shitty match with, with Vince McMahon was. They, <laughs> they pretty much made you forget about Bret Hart. And the interesting thing about this entire conversation has been the generation gap between the people that said Brett versus the people that said Sean. The younger people have said Sean. The older people who were around at the time said Brett. Because it was, it. Everyone you, north of 32 but was she, damn near for Brett. Everyone south of 32 was pretty much in favor of Sean. And the reason why is because you saw Sean Michaels. That is it. You saw Sean Michaels. Like you came up during an era where Sean Michaels was on your TV all the time. Bret Hart was nowhere to be found because he was pretty much rinsed. I, I feel like the, I watched uh, Brett from 92 to 95. Like I loved Bret Hart. Like yeah, I wanted the frilly like jacket. It. But you feel like it. Like when they were putting out DVDs, like they did the Bret Hart Under the Shadows, and that was not a WWF DVD at the time. But Bret Hart, his comeback, his story, his redemption, like it was all in your face all the time. Bret Hart was nowhere to be found. So it's a little bit of revisionist history when we talk about how great Bret Hart versus how great Shawn Michaels was. It's because Vince, he loved Shawn. Shawn never left. So that was that was good for him, but he left, but he didn't leave, right? Like he yeah, left. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he had to get his. He was never there, technically. Right. <laughs> Mentally, that, I'm not sure if he was in the building. But but who signed a ridiculous deal at the time? What was ten years or twenty years, a hundred million dollars? That was Bret Hart. That wasn't Shawn Michaels. Vince didn't hitch his his wagon to Shawn Michaels. He hitched his wagon to Bret Hart because Bret Hart not only was carrying him through the States, but he was carrying him through the territories in Canada and he was carrying him whenever they traveled overseas to Japan. It was all about Bret Hart. It was not about Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels never carried this company on his back and the short window that he did have the title, he didn't put anybody over. Shawn Michaels' greatest run was when he returned. And because of that, a lot of people overstate 
how great he was in the 90s. But the fact is, if you look at the Mount Rushmore, you want to talk about errors, Bret Hart in the 90s, after Hulk Hogan, before Stone Cold Steve Austin, that's Bret Hart's error. Damn, you're just skipping over Sean altogether. You're saying Sean had no place in the 90s because you're going from Hogan to Stone Cold. Stone Hogan to Bret to, to Austin. Because, wow. because Michaels, he, just, he basically devalued himself. Not only the, not the injury, but losing his smile and having to disappear. Like those, could Sean have dominated that era? I believe he could have. He had the charisma. I used to watch Shawn Michaels when he wrestled in the AWA with the with the Midnight Rockers. I used to I've watched Shawn Michaels for years. He's always had the potential, but he didn't realize his potential until he came back. And that and that's why you, when you talk about that Mount Rushmore, you can't really talk about Shawn Michaels dominating the '90s because he wasn't there long enough to do it. Oof. Uh, the windows were short, but the impact was felt. And what, what was the what was the final vote on the poll that we had? Well, we're talking about like people pick Shawn Michaels, but I, again, <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> just no, it's, just it's a bunch sure. of. I'm just again, it was like 168 people or whatever it was. A couple, a few hundred people picking. Decent but again, we're, size. but we're talking about. More like young people versus like because if you it, like the argument like nobody really argued Shawn Michaels they voted for him but when we had when I asked why people couldn't really tell me why it's because they felt like he should have been better because you know he's recognized today as the greatest performer ever in the ring that's why but again it's always just like John Cena being as great as he was come on man we can't really talk about how John Cena was hated and didn't really put anybody over through his fault or not Triple H the same way Triple H didn't put anybody over during his run. And that's why Triple H is never on that Mount Rushmore. He didn't really put people over. Nah. Had, but he was never he had, as impactful as Cena either. I mean, Triple H isn't far. Like, we're, to be honest, overall impact, Triple H isn't far. Might not like him, you know, injecting himself in every main event feud come Mania time. But his resume is stacked. But his resume stacked because he he made his like that. He stacked his politics, own resume. <laughs> but that backstage politics shouldn't make you the greatest. Like, Stone Cold. The thing about Stone Cold, like... You know, Stone Cold carried that company on his back, and he brought them out of that. He truly brought them out of that dark and made him competitive. And The Rock was an accessory to Stone Cold because people that say The Rock was better than Stone Cold, it's ridiculous. I like The Rock better than Stone Cold, but come on, man, Stone Cold was dominating an entire era. Like every, like everything that he was involved with was gold until he turned heel, and that's when they ruined him. But when you, but Triple H, yeah, he's he's kind of far behind because he wanted to have the impact, but he didn't. Like, if you go back to Royal Rumble 2005, when Chris Benoit won the, won the Royal Rumble, and you watch the match between Triple H and Shawn Michaels, which ended up being like this 50-minute marathon match, yeah, it was so unnecessary. The blood was gratuitous. It just felt like two guys that were just, had, were just playing ball with themselves. It, it, it doesn't necessitate the impact. Like, it, it doesn't mean that they were on top because, you know, it was a, a change in the guard at that time. And when John Cena came through, he, he took the company through the PG era. He endured all the, the good and the bad, but we really didn't recognize how great John Cena was until he started losing. And, and, that's, and, and winning is not the only thing that makes a wrestler great. You got to lose well, too. And you have to lose well and make it believable. And that's the other, <sighs> yeah. that's the other and thing. And John Cena leaving helped a lot, too, though. Yeah, John Cena, he, like, becoming a part-timer. When he, after the open challenge, when he left, we were like, yo, you know what? We kind of miss John Cena. And there's no more like John Cena sucks chance, nothing like that, because everyone's like, "Damn, we miss Cena, man." Like it, it's really true. You don't know what you have until it's gone. 
No. So the whole thing, like I said, you know, I, I'm a big Brett, Shawn Michaels fan, but I love Shawn Michaels in the 90s. And I, like I said, I'm a big watched, Bret Hart fan. I binge watched all of this stuff. And I was sitting and I looked and I was like, dude, Shawn, like DX existed and those those lewd and moments like a lot of people. It kind of didn't age well, like Eminem's raps. You know what I'm saying? Like that that gimmick, like the stick. Like I still love like, the Slim Shady LP, though. I tell you I mean, that I, one. So look, it, it I, is I what too. it is. I could. They had a run. You'd be like, okay, it was like nine months with DX. Well, we determined it was a year and a half with DX at the top with Sean in it. Every Monday night they hit fire. They didn't miss every promo, every segment. They cut two or three segments on every Monday. They did not miss. At all, and that year and a half run was impactful. But I mean, so the new day, like the new day, had great segments. Like <laughs> when we look I'll, back, their tag team might be up there. They we're, won't. we're creating tag team, the best tag team of this decade. No, they, um, this decade. Mm. Yeah, they already know. locked up 2010 through 2020. Yeah, but I'm, what I'm like, what I'm saying is like you, the you DX run was shot. the DX run was so short. And Shawn Michaels' involvement in it was even shorter. So DX was a great faction. If we want to talk about factions, that's fantastic. But when we're talking about one man versus another man on that Mount Rushmore, carrying the company through an era, it was Bret Hart. That's rough. We got we got to let the people speak again. We'll we'll see. But ah, that that's tough. We got other stuff to talk about. You gonna have us talk about this for an hour on the show. <laughs> um, the WWE WrestleMania push is coming up. It's taking shape. We have to talk about this. First up, report Seth Rollins should be ready for Mania. CrossFit Yay. Jesus strikes again. Um, we're going to see your boy Trips right back in it. Uh, monster Ooh. entrance, you know, all budget going to Trips. Um, are you, what do we make of this? Is, it, is Triple H a guarantee still? Or is Samoa Joe now the guy for WrestleMania? No, I think um, Samoa Joe was brought in to possibly put Rollins over at Fastlane, heading towards a match with Triple H, which is great. Now Samoa Joe doesn't have to put Rollins over because Rollins is hurt. And they can go right into the feud with Rollins and Triple H, and they can build it off of promos or what have you. Um, and there's no way that program is going to change because they worked too hard on getting us to Seth Rollins, Triple H to change it now. Um, the only question is, you know, who is Samoa Joe feud with uh, at this point? Because... If it's not for Rollins at Fastlane, I don't know who Samoa Joe's wrestling at Fastlane. Uh, Roman Reigns is tied up with Braun Strowman, so I don't want to see Samoa Joe beat up Sami Zayn because it seems like the go-to guy to kick his ass. Usually. Um, <laughs> That'd be one hell of a match, though. It would be a great match. I mean, I would love to see it. I just don't want to see... like I, Right now, in terms of momentum, I don't want to see Sami Zayn just get bullied by big guys. I want Sami Zayn to actually have a legit U.S. title run. I want him to win, win the U.S. title. Um but seeing Rollins back, you know, knowing that Rollins will be back and won't miss a WrestleMania is great. Hopefully, he won't have any setbacks in his recovery. They say he'll be back like right before WrestleMania, but there's always something that could possibly happen. So I'm sure they have a plan B in place. Um, but it's good to hear. Ultimately, it's good to hear that Seth Rollins will wrestle at WrestleMania. We know he's going to wrestle at Triple H. Hopefully, Triple H puts Seth Rollins over because the last thing we need is Triple H putting himself over at WrestleMania. Granted, he should have put himself over last year against Roman Reigns, but. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> That's just your dislike for Roman speaking. Um, no, Seth has to go over in that case. Talking about Roman Reigns, he's in three feuds right now. Yeah, I don't understand that. So he has a feud with Taker due to the death stare and elimination. He has an ongoing feud with Braun Strowman 
that carried out in his championship match at Royal Rumble. And then a new feud with Samoa Joe. Because he came think, out and it was just like, really? Why? I think this, this is going to be so short-lived. I just think they threw Samoa Joe out there against Roman Reigns just to involve Braun Strowman because they didn't have Seth Rollins around. So I don't, I, don't, I don't look much into it. I don't think this Roman Reigns-Samoa Joe feud is going to last long at all. All right. Um, next feud to talk about, Goldberg comes out, challenges Kevin Owens for the title at Fastlane, but yet confirms that he will fight. Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. Is, well, I mean, the, jig, he, is the jig up? It's this isn't even a jig. Like, how, how predictable is this? I mean, the only way that we can turn this around, and this is, this is possible, is that Brock Lesnar costs Goldberg at Fastlane, and then they just have a match. Because the worst thing I personally think you can do is put two part-timers in the ring for the title. That doesn't make any sense to me. No. Kevin Owens has carried this title since August. Was it August? It was August or September? Right after SummerSlam. Yes. And early September, I think. First week. So to take it out, because there's no possible way against Goldberg. This is why I don't like this middle pay-per-view. And I kind of talked about this last week. When you have the middle pay-per-view, you got to have things happen. So if you put Kevin Owens in there with Goldberg, how do you make him look strong? Because Goldberg has been torching Brock Lesnar. So there's no human way possible that Kevin Owens should be able to last more than five minutes with him. And in real life, in 10 minutes, because Goldberg will gas. So the purpose of this feud is to just take the strap off of him. Sounds ridiculous. And it devalues what Kevin Owens has done as champion over the past few months. And then it devalues the title because if Brock Lesnar gets the title back, shit, we're never going to see him on TV again. Ever. Like this, Not until be, SummerSlam. That, and, and that's just ridiculous. And that's something that we don't need right now. There's, <laughs> there's a wealth of talent, and it's unnecessary. Um, but hopefully, they just go a different route where Kevin Owens and Goldberg engage in like a no contest because Brock Lesnar just destroys Goldberg before he even gets to the ring. That'd be great. Um, that's something, you know, I'm fingers crossed. That's what I want. Because Kevin Owens should hold the belt going into Mania. He's done a hell of a job this year. Uh, and I don't know who beats Brock Lesnar to take the title off of him at WrestleMania. He's jobbed so much to Goldberg at this point that he has to go over super strong on Goldberg at WrestleMania and then when he looks that strong again, they're not going to job him out. He's not going to job himself out. Who's going to take the strap? I don't see it. Usada will take the strap. <laughs> I, I, I don't see it. I don't see how it goes. Um, you, you have to think Finn Balor is going to play a role in one of these matches at WrestleMania. Not in it, but like as the surprise you know, entrant or his music is going to pop. I don't see it being against you know Goldberg and Brock Lesnar. So Brock wins and, and Finn's music hits and the demon is stronger than the beast? Like, I mean, the guy is 180 pounds. How, how believable is this? Demon power and everything aside. I mean, you're suggesting that Finn Balor appears at WrestleMania. I don't even think that happens. Oh, no? I, I, no. I think if Finn Balor is going to return, it'll be on the Raw after Mania. I mean, that'd be smart um, as well. But I, I think he wants a WrestleMania moment and I think they want to give him one. Yeah, they'll save it. I mean, there's no use to have him just show up to do nothing. Um, and Just stare yeah. at the guy who won the championship. Just look at ominous. Wrestle, like at WrestleMania, though? Yeah, man, just, you know, just red lights, music, heartbeat. Dun, dun, I'll dun, pass. Dun. Stand I'll, there and look all crazy like the demon and shit. Perch, I'll pass. Perch him on something. Like, perch him on top of the WrestleMania sign just in his creepy crawl stance. Like Spider-Man. See, like, the, the whole point of WrestleMania has always been to kind of 
put a button in everything, and then the day after there's a restart. So to have to try to inject Finn Balor into something that can carry over on Monday night doesn't make sense. Let's just do it on Monday night. Yeah. Because that, that Monday night Raw is always the biggest Raw that they ever have. That's um, correct. So my, my, my bigger concern is, does Goldberg Lesnar headline WrestleMania? If it's for is the title, hell going? yeah. Yep. Oh, my God. And we if leave you, early again, just like, you, just like last year. That's my point. Like, if you want fans to revolt, because there's there's absolutely no guarantee that these two will have a good match. And if everything goes as planned, like, if Reigns goes against Undertaker, which, regardless of how good the quality of the match was, if you, the, the crowd will be hot. Um, Owens and Jericho should ter- tear the house down. Whatever AJ Styles is involved with, as long as it's not Shane McMahon, it should be a good match. Who knows what John Cena is going to be doing um, we'll talk about that too, the whole Randy Orton thing. But to have these two close WrestleMania, which right now seems like it's going to be like another six hour WrestleMania, is a bad idea. We just had a six really. hour Royal Rumble. Of course it's going to be a six hour Mania. Like, I, I can't, I can't over, I can't say how much we need to condense some of these shows. They're too fucking long. <sighs> you say that, but we just watched six hours of Wrestle Kingdom like a I- month ago. Yeah, because Russell's Kingdom has quality wrestling. <laughs> but I'm saying, are we arguing time or are we understanding, arguing quality? I'm arguing the value to, of my time. Okay, like, they I, need to put on better matches and better booking. They have the talent. Dude. You just look at the card, you'd be like, yo, it's so mismanaged. So misused. It, to get the nostalgia aspect in and some of the BS, like, there's no reason Goldberg should be on this. No, there's I no mean, reason Go- Triple H is needed anymore. There's... They're filling slots that are unnecessary. Yeah, and I mean, if we get if we get this obligatory Shaq versus uh, Big Show match, then it's like, it, dude, the shark will have been jumped. But it's something that you know I understand the WWE relies on you know big stars for their extravaganza. But it's just like I don't mind Goldberg versus Brock Lesnar. I don't mind it one bit. But the headline for a title at WrestleMania is the, the absolute wrong move. Vince That's is just, just but Vince sees the pop Goldberg gets in every city because he gets a huge pop from the crowd. And he said, how do I make it bigger? Give him the belt. I don't think and it's going to work. it's a damn shame. I don't think yeah. so either. <laughs> I, it's, think, it's, I think those fans are going to revolt. Yeah, because then what? What do you do on Monday? Either Goldberg's your champion and you can't wrestle more than three minutes. Or Lesnar's your champion and he's unbeatable. It's it's awful, man. The only, you know what's the sad part about it? The only person on the Raw roster that can take the belt off of either of those guys is Roman Reigns. Yeah, and and, because people are going to boo him anyway, and he's big enough, and it's believable enough, and he's the only one that can take the belt off of either of those guys. And Roman Reigns is going to be champion again come what May if this shit goes down that way. And then you can have someone, a baby face, a Finn Balor or something, go against Roman Reigns and take the strap back. But that's it. That's the only course of action if you let Goldberg take this title. Well, see, the inevitable thing here, and this is what I was going to get to. If Roman Reigns is wrestling Undertaker and Roman Reigns, they choose Roman Reigns to go over an Undertaker. I don't know if they, that define, makes him a heel. I don't know what they do with him. And Brock Lesnar beats Goldberg. It's inevitable that Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar will meet again at SummerSlam. Like... Oh, you got to wait until SummerSlam again? The title is I mean, just going to disappear? I was no, hoping no. like that next pay-per-view or Elimination Chamber or something. Nah. Because it, cause or if I mean, uh, Vince, excuse me, the ladder joint, not Elimination Nah. Chamber. If Vince really wants to build this thing, because if he has Brock disappear again and come back and disappear, because, you know, he'll have to beat up uh, like maybe Kevin Owens or, you know, Brock Lesnar have to go over on some people to, to really build up the monster thing and then 
Roman, here comes Roman Reigns. Like, I don't even know how Roman Reigns goes over on Braun Strowman in Fastlane, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> Yo, he, saw, he got so much heat, though. Like, you can't, people can't even deny that anymore. You know, the boos are deafening. No, the, the, thing, the thing I would like to see happen would be, which I wouldn't mind, which would actually have a veil of believability, would be Samoa Joe and Brock Lesnar. Like, there would be something believable there because of Joe's size and his physicality in the ring. Like, that could be a legit feud. No, that's that good because he's not just going to eat suplexes. Right. So, I, you know, I think that's a, a route you can go. But it's, it's really hard when you have Goldberg squashing Lesnar, Lesnar, whatever he's going to do with Goldberg. And then it's like, okay, so who beats these guys? <laughs> it's like, yeah. good luck. Only one so, is Roman Reigns, and we're headed for dark times if that's the case. Um, we have to preview Elimination Chamber. Because it's coming up this weekend already. How many matches are there? Like one? Because the whole ta- everybody on the roster is in one match. Oh, oh! You'd be surprised what they can do. Um, seven matches for Elimination Chamber. Magic. Let's go. <laughs> There's three women's matches: Nikki Belly, Nikki Belly, Nikki Bella versus Natalia in a singles Good. match. Brunch match. Yeah. Okay. Um, we have Alexa Bliss versus Naomi for the championship. Black Naomi's History getting the push. <laughs> oh, oh it is Black History Month. Black History Month. Oh, mind blown. I didn't even think about that shit. <laughs> yeah. They're going to bury her. Naomi's not going to win. Thanks, Vince. Um, Becky Lynch versus Mickey James. Pretty much setting up a triple threat at WrestleMania with Alexa Bliss, I'm assuming. For the Maybe. Title. I, see, I have a problem because if, if you're going to go with a four way from Raw, you're going to do like another multi woman match with, on SmackDown? Eh. I think so. You got to go pre show with it. Well, maybe. Um, it's not going to be on the main show. So, I mean, they're spaced out enough. And there's so much talent. That's what happens when you have a brand split. You got to fit everyone in. And then we also have your boy, Apollo Crews, and Kalisto versus Dolph Ziggler. What a way to devalue two talent, like two talented wrestlers, and put them in a handicap match against Dolph Ziggler, who had been backsliding forever. So, and so you need both of them to beat Dolph Ziggler. Is you know, that what you're telling me? You know, my idea is that Cruz turns on Kalisto and goes heel. Nah. But nobody will it. care. That's the only move, though. He Ziggler beats them both. Cruz and Kalisto are in the ring. Cruz beats down Kalisto. Dude, but nobody cares about Cruz. Like, this is... this is. It's just a uh, small guy. Cruz can throw him around. Angry black yeah. man face. Yeah, Grr, no. Angry black man. I'm cool. Like, I, to be honest with you, I probably won't even watch that match. <laughs> because I, I, there's no point. I, I have, There's no reason for this match to even take place. It's just something to do to fill the card. And, you know, if they choose to turn Apollo Cruz heel... On Kalisto against a guy that nobody cares about with a guy that nobody cares about. They it's, did the same thing with Baron Corbin, and then now look, he's in a main, I mean, in the main Baron, picture. But I'm saying Baron Corbin was a heel. Like he didn't even have to turn him heel. Yeah, like but turning. We thought the Kalisto feud was a waste. But Ooh. but the the question is, will anybody care if Apollo Cruz turns heel? Does anyone care about Apollo Cruz now? You got to try everything. No, I just don't think you tried in this silly match because you just turned Dolph Ziggler heel, and and I don't even know what you're gonna do with that. I, again, I don't care. We can move on. Uh, a good feud developing: Luke Harper versus Randy Orton. Um, it'd be good if I knew that you know what was going to happen at WrestleMania. Um, my my biggest problem here is where does Luke Harper go after this? I have no idea. Well, he cut the great promo on SmackDown talking about how Randy Orton stole his family, so he's not fighting 
to be against Bray Wyatt as much as he's fighting to get Bray Wyatt back. So Luke Harper and Bray Wyatt, Luke can then, you know, either lose to, he has to lose to Randy, but come out in the following weeks and say he wants his family back and Randy stole his family, causing Bray to realize the error of his ways and turn on Randy Orton and bring back, um, you know, the, the full Wyatt family. Because I believe yeah. the other one's coming back from injury. So it, I think dude. that's the turn. Then worst comes to worst, you get a tag team out, Luke Harper, Luke, Luke Harper and the other Wyatt family member. And finally, American Alpha has someone to challenge them. Yeah, you got This is a long way to get there. Um, I mean, we all knew that Randy Orton and the Wyatt family wasn't going to last. But now that Randy Orton's wrestling it for the title at WrestleMania, it's, just, it's all muddled. So I can't really talk about storylines until I see whether or not Bray Wyatt wins the title at Elimination Chamber. Yeah, I mean, a lot will be answered this Sunday, which is good in SmackDown. Because then they have the normal amount of time to build into the pay-per-view. You know, they they have, what, a month and a half to build into a pay-per-view? That's great. They're going to tell good stories. We'll be invested. Raw's going to rush everything. So Raw's kind of a fire show right now, like... I don't understand it. It's a dumpster fire. They don't know what they're doing. SmackDown, they have the time. They can put together a good plan. Uh, the other match, American Alpha, defending their titles against every tag team SmackDown has to offer. You know, like if I were typing this, right, I type American Alpha versus and I just hit every key on my keyboard because that's <laughs> like every other tag team in there because they, they all they, they don't even matter. Like watching SmackDown and watching that, uh, what was that, an eight-man tag? 12, I don't know how many people in the goddamn ring. 16, 16 men were in that match. And I was looking to try to figure out, like, why is Brizongo on the same side as American Alpha? Oh, because they don't know what the hell they're doing. Because none of these other tag teams matter. Like, they had Heath Slater and Rhino in the match, but I thought they split up. So that tag team division is in shambles. American Alpha is now becoming, like, the mo- one of the worst call-ups. Because it was pointless. They have nobody to even wrestle. There's no one on SmackDown. There's no competition. Could have left him on, on NXT if you're going to do this shit to him. Yeah. Um, all Once again, it comes back to our point from last year in which all the tag teams should have been on one show, all the women should have been on another. Yep. And it would have been perfectly fine. Um, main event, Elimination Chamber, John Cena versus AJ Styles versus Dean Ambrose versus Miz, who's been doing great work, versus Corbin versus Bray Wyatt. Um, what if they give this to the Miz? They won't. How but, crazy uh, would that shit be? Um, as long as it's not Baron Corbin, he's not going to win because there was a dope Fatal 4-Way match on SmackDown. It opened it up, and he actually got the clean pin on AJ Styles. Yeah, which maybe leads you to believe that they're going to do something with AJ and Baron. Ugh. Um, oh, I didn't even think about that. That's not great. Th- there's really only two people that can win this match that makes sense, and that's John Cena and Bray Wyatt. Uh, you know, because – and th- this is my problem with the Elimination Chamber. It's great in theory. Because, you know, you like these people in a pod. But then as the match drags on, you start to realize, like, there's only a few possible people that can win this match. And then over the years, it's been the same way. Like, you haven't really had an elimination chamber where you had, like, a true surprise win. I so, thought the first one when Sean won was the surprise, right? That, to me, it wasn't a biggest surprise, though. Uh, like I feel like all six people that year could have won it. That was the most evenly balanced field. There was no, like... You're right about that. Mark it Henry, was even. like there wasn't yeah. no like you know just some wild card, our truth or something. It was like an even ass field. It just feels like it, this. This match is kind of hitched to WrestleMania, so it's like, well, who do they believe can feud with Randy Orton going into WrestleMania? Number one is Bray Wyatt. 
Number two was, I guess, John Cena, but it really is it? Not really. So it's like, it's Bray Wyatt or bust, pretty much. Because anybody else that Randy Orton fused with won't, there's, there's really nothing there. That's like a Randy huge Orton, push for Bray Wyatt, if it does. It is, but it's a huge short push. Yeah. Because the only way this works is if Bray Wyatt goes over on Randy Orton at WrestleMania. No, they're not letting that happen. Why not? Uh, I don't. Because Randy Orton's Randy Orton. Like, it's. Randy Orton's done. You know that Randy Orton's. Let me think. Like, like hold on. He's legacy. I'm, wait, wait. I'm trying to think here. And I'm, I might have to look this up. Has Randy Orton ever won the title at WrestleMania? Defended successfully or won it? Won. No, right? Um, I don't believe so. Wait, he won Royal Rumble, so I don't know why he wouldn't. No, I mean, I'm just, I'm just trying to figure out because people talk about Randy Orton like they talk about him like the, uh, the B John Cena, but he's really not. Like if you really think about it, Randy Orton should have went over on Triple H in that few years ago, and he didn't. When when Randy was heel and kicking the shit out of the McMahon family, but um, and he didn't. He lost the title to Mysterio in that Triple Threat match with Kurt Angle. And then, let's see, I, I can't recall Randy Orton winning or defending the title at WrestleMania. Yeah, no, nah, I, don't, I don't see it. Um, I don't think he's ever had the title at WrestleMania. And WWE it's November 20. No, I don't see it. So it's weird because, yeah, you can kind of say that the, the WWE may owe Randy Orton his WrestleMania moment, and this could be it at this WrestleMania. However... Randy Orton was at his hottest when he was RKO out of nowhere and the shirts were being made and there were the, the, the videos and the gifts and the memes and like everything Randy Orton, like he was hot. It's oh, Daniel Bryan right? beat Batista in their triple threat the, time, the last time he entered with the title. Yeah, but he's never left WrestleMania with a title. Ain't that something? So they could, they could do it because they feel like they owe Randy Orton this finally after all these years, let him leave WrestleMania with a title on the shoulder. Or they can kind of look at this like if they take the title off of Bray Wyatt, you know, maybe Orton is just that guy who just understands like, dude, it's better to serve as a story like if Bray Wyatt actually has a run as the, the new face of fear for real. Like because him be- winning the Elimination Chamber doesn't legitimize Bray Wyatt. Him beating Randy Orton one on one at WrestleMania legitimizes Bray Wyatt. And we've talked about for years how we think Bray Wyatt should get a push. Elimination Ch- Chamber, that's just a speed bump. That makes him a transitional champ. Or in Randy- Orton did beat, sorry, real quick, uh, Orton beat Cena and Triple H. Oh, yeah. To retain his title. That's right. At WrestleMania 24. Jesus Christ. And so, WrestleMania, I don't even remember. Yeah. I don't even remember the build towards that match. Okay. Um, John Cena won the Royal Rumble and then somehow challenged <laughs> for the belt at Fastlane instead of WrestleMania. And then Triple H just threw himself in that shit. Oh my god! All right, so he has been there. Yes, he, he has retained <laughs> once, the title. Yes, once he has left WrestleMania with the title, but he also entered with the title um, when he won the Royal Rumble. I don't see him winning the belt. I still yeah. haven't found that. Well, bottom line is, I think the smart thing to do here is if you're going to put the title on Bray Wyatt, have Bray Wyatt retain clean over Orton at WrestleMania. Randy Orton has done pretty much everything that you could possibly do in this business. There's no reason to make Bray Wyatt a transitional champ. You're in the business of making new stars, and you've, you've kind of stopped and stalled on Bray Wyatt for so long. Give the man the opportunity to be more than a transitional champ. Make him the true face of fear. That's no, true. Um, 
uh, I would love to see it, but I would have loved to see him break the streak. I would have loved to see him go over on Cena. I I've seen a lot of good Bray Wyatt WrestleMania matches and feuds. And no doubt, I have no doubt that this one's going to be just as good as those. Because they built it over months and Randy Orton turning or Bray Wyatt turning and the promos and the darkness. And I, I love all that. Um, the entrance is going to be dope. I don't think this is when they finally put him over. Is Randy Orton at the Cena level where he is now so good and so untouchable that he can put other people over? And he's willing to. I'm not sure about that. Well, I think he's willing to. It's just a matter of that that's the direction they choose to go. Anyway, so that's, yeah, SmackDown Elimination Chamber. I mean, I'm going to place my bet on Bray Wyatt. I just don't have a lot of confidence that they're going to do the right thing. Yeah, so that pretty much wraps up wrestling, which took an hour. 40 minutes of it was you trying to convince me that Bret Hart is better than Shawn Michaels. Uh, when we come back from break, <laughs> we're going to talk boxing real quick and then get into UFC. We have to recap UFC Houston and preview UFC 208. So make sure you guys stay tuned. We'll be back right after this break. Listen up, because we need help putting out the show that you love for free every week, giving it free to the people, now we know nobody likes filling out surveys, but we really need you to do it. It won't take you more than five minutes, and besides helping out the show, you'll be entered for a chance to win a $100 iTunes gift card. You know what I can do with $100 on iTunes? I'm living life large on iTunes with that, and you guys get that just for helping us out. We know some of you may have already done surveys like this in the past, but we really need you to log in and fill this thing out as accurately as possible. Yeah, man. Well, I mean, once we know more about you, we'll be able to deliver the show and the sponsors you dream about. Finding sponsors who are a good fit means we get to give you the deals and information the brands you care about while keeping this show free to enjoy every week. Free to enjoy every week. It means you don't have to pay to subscribe for nothing. All right. If you don't care about helping us and making the show better, do it for the chance to win a free iTunes or Amazon.com gift card. Right. You know, like do it for free. Do it for the gifts. If there's not, you know, just think about it. If there's not that many of you doing it, there's a better chance to win. So please do us this solid and go to the cornersurvey.com. Once again, that's the cornersurvey.com. Do that. Keep the lights on for us. Let us cater to what you need. You know, you can tell us what you like and what you don't like, and then we can keep it all funky and knock this thing out. I know the corner club got our back. You guys are going to fill out that survey. We're going to get more ads. We're going to be bringing you this for free for a long, long time. So shout out to y'all. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks again for filling out that survey. It helps a ton. If you haven't filled out the survey, it takes five minutes. Fill it out. really helps out the show. Let's our sponsors know what you guys want from the show, and it allows us to bring this great podcast to you for free. So now that we got that out of the way, it's time to talk some boxing. Not much going on, but there's a question I have. Why is Kell Brook dodging Errol Spence? This fight mm. should happen. It needs to happen. And Kell Brook is acting like he's in no rush to fight. I mean, Kell Brook is holding out for the Amir Khan payday. Amir Khan wants to pay him a 70-30 split, which is sad and pathetic after you got your clock cleaned out by Canelo Alvarez. And nobody really wants to fight Errol Spence. Um, clearly because he's, you know, getting Errol Spence is beating the crap out of everybody he faces. Uh, technically sound. Um, has a bit of knockout power, so he's trouble. So, you know, for Kell Brook, he wants to have a big payday. And that's with Amir Khan having a fight in the UK would be huge for him. But, you know, I don't know, man. We need, This fight needs to happen. I mean, this fight needs to happen because somebody needs to go ahead and put Kel, uh, Errol Spence over. That's what needs to be done right now. Yeah, just test him. He needs to be tested at this point. Kell Brook, 
is still a very good fighter at 147. There's talks about his camp wanting him to go to 154 permanently. I'm not sure about that. He looks, you know, a little small for the division. But who knows? He went up to 160. So yeah, who am I to tell him that 154 won't work for him? It's just for a guy whose power doesn't translate, understand he's smooth, he's slick. He gave Golovkin trouble, quote unquote, for a couple of rounds. And then the body blows got him and he just couldn't finish. And yeah. we'll, we see the same thing again. Those bigger guys have punching power. We just saw Charlo and his punching power. He took J-Rock out like it was nothing. Um, J-Rock has great hands and power. So it, it's a it's a rough life at 154. It ain't a cakewalk. Well, the problem is once you go up to 160, it's hard to go back down to 147. I mean, not only is it physically difficult for a lot of fighters, but it's mentally difficult. Because now you got to retrain your body to cut that weight. You know, and you probably he probably felt good at 160. Um, clearly, that's not going to be the way for him. I think 154 is probably where he needs to be if he doesn't want to cut down to 147. But, you know, in Kelbrook's case, I mean, he absorbed a lot of punishment by Golovkin. But there are guys who weigh 168 pounds that can't absorb Golovkin's punches. So, you know, there's no shame in losing the Triple G. You know, anybody can lose a Triple G. Um, but in Kel Brooks' case, it's, I, I know it just seems like he wants to cash out, like he wants a big fight. And Errol Spence is just not drawing yet. He's not that name as selling out arenas or anything like that. So that being said, you know, maybe they, hopefully they make this fight happen one way or another. Otherwise, um, you know, the welterweight division needs it. We need a king of the welterweight division. You know, if we got Keith Thurman and Danny uh, Garcia fighting – we need to have Kell Brook and Errol Spence fight so we can put these titles together. We got to unify these titles. We need one champion in every division, ideally, is what we'd like to have. Yeah, and they just have to not be scared, stop chasing the money fight. We see this in UFC now, too. It's a popular thing to do. Floyd and Connor yeah. have changed the game. It's, you know what? We're chasing the money fight, and everything else doesn't matter. No, that's true. That's true. But may, like I said, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of slow motion this week in boxing. Not too much going on. No, but there's a lot of good fights coming up. Um, great, strong spring lineup, capitalizing off a good year last year, rolling right into 2017. And a couple of matchups that are intriguing coming up this spring. There's one here in Vegas, which was just announced that it was going to be here. Canelo Alvarez versus Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Uh, on single the Mayo weekend. You know, now that Floyd isn't fighting, that's kind of Canelo's date here in Vegas, which is good to see. The Mexican crowd is going to be insane for that. But what fight are you looking forward to most? Um, I've said it a billion times. It's Gennady Golovkin and Danny Jacobs because I need to see Gennady Golovkin get tested by somebody who can actually fight and who has power and who can box. And Danny Jacobs has all those things. Um, if it wasn't for Triple G, Danny Jacobs would be the king of the 160-pound weight division. So we're going to see if uh, Triple G is really as good as advertised. I believe so. But we need that test in there. Um, and it, run, it it nudges just ahead of Keith Thurman and Danny Garcia because that's a fight that I've been wanting to see for so long. And the fact that we're finally getting it, I'm happy. And, you know, the crazy Angel Garcia press conference kind of lit more <laughs> fire into it. But, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, there are a lot of great fights. There are a ton of great fights that we're going to see through the spring heading into summer. Uh, I'll tell you one fight I don't care to see is Manny Pacquiao and Jeff Horn. But even that fight is not completely signed, sealed, and delivered for what I'm hearing either. I so, still don't even know who Jeff Horn is. 
Well, I mean, that's that's the point. Uh, you know, Manny Pacquiao's world tour is going to take him places where a fighter is a big star in their country. Manny Pacquiao comes to your country, sells at your stadium, and kicks your fighter's ass and cashes your check. That's what Manny Pacquiao is doing for his farewell tour. Um, uh, it's not a bad way to go. No, you, you, he's not going to fight the Terrence Crawfords or the Sean Porters. Or, he's not fighting anybody who's a threat. He's on a farewell tour that's going to comply with his, his schedule as a senator. Um, and so he doesn't have to exert too much energy. Jesse Vargas is a perfect example of that. That guy's not a world beater. You know, so Manny Pacquiao just needed a few hours a day to get in the gym to prepare for a fight like that. So with that being said, uh, Springs look looking really good. Uh, Kel, what fight are you looking forward to the most? I'm looking forward to the heavyweight matchup. Klitschko versus the young bull Anthony Joshua, right? It's the passing of the torch. You're talking about putting someone over. This is the chance to put over Anthony Joshua as the number one heavyweight in the world. He's already selling out stadiums. He's selling out O2. He's huge in England. This is to make him a worldwide star. Because it's not going to be what Tyson Fury did to Klitschko. Um, That fight ended up being boring. People tuned in to watch Klitschko lose, whatever. He lost in a boring manner. Klitschko's going to say he's going to come out looking like his old self. And if Anthony Joshua wins... It's not going to be because of a boring decision. It's going to be because Klitschko really has fallen off and he's going to knock him out. And that's a statement statement win if he can pull it off. Or Klitschko has one left in the bag and he knocks off one of the best boxing prospects uh, you know, in 2017. And it, it gets run back if he does that. Um, it, it's, it's an interesting, interesting fight. Heavyweights are always great fights. Deontay Wilder is looking to fight the winner of this sooner rather than later. We could have two to three major boxing matches in the heavyweight division this year, and I'm for it. I'm ready. Yeah, I'm, I forgot to even mention that fight. I'm very intrigued by that matchup. You know, we don't know what Klitschko has left in the tank, um, and we don't know what Josh was like on the big stage. You know, he's fought solid talent as a heavyweight, but nothing near the level of in size and reach and power of a Klitschko. So that that fight carries a ton of intrigue and. Is his you know, resume as good as Wilder's or better? I mean... Already? Because people criticize Wilder's resume all the time. But you know, Anthony Joshua, I hear a lot of people giving him props for who he's fought. I understand he's younger. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's... He, he's fought these people a lot earlier than Wilder did, but Wilder started a lot later. And he didn't yeah. have the amateur background. He didn't have the Olympics, so on and so forth. He has well, less I mean, experience than Anthony Joshua as a whole. Well, Deontay Wilder did compete in the Olympics. You know, Deontay Wilder does have experience. He just he needs win. polish. No, he didn't win. That's what I mean. He um, didn't win. But, yeah, Joshua does have a better resume. Um, yeah, because Wilder was fed a lot of cans. And they were cans with purpose. You know, sometimes you fight cans just to buff up your record. But he, he fought opponents that gave Deontay Wilder a lot of different looks. Southpaws, tall guys, short guys, guys who fight on the inside. Guys fight. So it was all things so he could learn how to deal with these things because he had a Tremendous amount of power. It's been my one criticism of Deontay Wilder from day one is he needs polish. And it's a shame that the fight with Povetkin fell through because that's the type of fight that he needs to prepare for a bigger name like a Joshua or a Klitschko. But now that he's not and he's getting another can, essentially. Um, also you're not, not his really, fault this time, though. No, it's not his fault. But it's, it's hard for a guy like Deontay Wilder who needs – he's one of those guys who needs the rounds in the ring. He's, he spent so much time knocking people off in the round – that he had to learn how to box. And, you know, he looked great boxing Bermain Stavern, but who's Bermain Stavern, really? You know, it's like... He so was the champion entering that fight, right? Yeah, but the division's trash. So it's like, <laughs> you're only good as your competition. So 
if you we're going to be critical of Deontay Wilder, you can be critical of Anthony Joshua too, but it's not necessarily their fault. They haven't fought a great deal of talented prospects or talented young fighters or seasoned grizzled veterans. Like they haven't fought those type of guys, so they're getting thrown to the fire because there's really no, no nowhere to turn to but to each other. Yeah, and you know, hopefully Joshua lives up to the hype. He capitalizes on this moment. If he can knock out Klitschko, a star is born. The guy already looks like Cam Newton. He's in endorsements. He was in like a R&B singer's music video. He has crossover appeal. And Deontay Wilder has the mouth to sell a fight. That could be the biggest fight of the year. I don't care if Connor fights Floyd or not. If those two sign on the dotted line, that is the biggest fight of the year. Mm, it's not bigger than Connor and Floyd. I, um, in it's terms of competitive. Like, yeah, it's no, a heavyweight competitive fight between two knockout guys instead of watching a, a welterweight fight between someone who's never fought before and a guy who hasn't had power in a decade. But, I mean, that fight's not even bigger than Golovkin-Canelo. It's a big fight. Don't get me wrong. Ooh, it's not bigger than Golovkin-Canelo? I, I think heavyweights trump Golovkin-Canelo. Absolutely not. I, I think so. Dude, how? Uh, it's... That heavyweight mystique and appeal, Anthony Joshua can be three times the star that Canelo is. Off of look, off of ability to speak English, off of knockout highlights. He nope. can be three times the star that Canelo is, and it all starts with this Klitschko knockout. If he no. knocks out Klitschko, I will say, in a, regardless Wilder fight happen, it's going to happen. I don't know if it happens this year. But if he knocks out Klitschko, Anthony Joshua next year this time is a bigger star than Canelo Alvarez. Mm, there's a lot of mitigating factors that go into that. He but, has uh, a nation behind him, just like Canelo. They'd both be world champions. They'd both be on pay-per-view at that point. He outsells Canelo by every measurable, I think, this time next year. Paper, like if Canelo, if Canelo he's a heavyweight. Beats, dude, it doesn't matter. If Canelo beats Triple G, there is, Canelo's the biggest fighter in boxing. They're like hands down. Yes, the final first. I, but yes, I but no, agree. I agree. But I'm saying, like, it, you, that's what I'm saying. There's a lot of mitigating factors that go into whether you're going to say Anthony Joshua will be bigger than Canelo. The thing about Anthony Joshua is, yeah, we know him, but he's still not known in the states, and the heavyweight division is still trash. But so people even know does, Klitschko for some damn reason still, and the name but resonates. Do, but do they? Because like, how big of the was the news that Klitschko lost to Tyson Fury? Let's be honest. It would have been bigger if it wasn't a whack-ass match. Like, if you knock him out, it's a difference. People love heavyweight knockouts. Yeah, but I don't think... It doesn't It doesn't automatically make a star born. Like, we're in a different era where Anthony Joshua, who, I, who the thing I've said a million times is put him in a Beyonce video. Then he's a star. Yeah, people... It's... Some things are golden forever. Big men knocking out other big men are something that travels through time. It's like the great white hope in basketball. But we haven't seen one since Larry Bird, but guess what? We damn near try to make one out of Jimmer for debt. So the great white hope, whenever it appears again, is going to be the biggest thing ever. Give us a white LeBron James, athletically and stuff. It'd be the biggest thing ever. And the same thing in the heavyweights. We haven't seen one in forever. But when it happens, it's going to blow up again. Because some things stand the test of time. Knockout power, big dude, good look by Anthony Joshua. It translates. Okay, so I'll just put it like this. Deontay Wilder's not a star yet. He knocked everybody out. Oh, yeah. No, so, I mean, he's, but he's not. 
how do I say this? I, pause, 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 pause for all my New York people. But he's not handsome. Like, Anthony Joshua is a handsome dude. Like, he looks like Cam Newton. Yeah, but neither was Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson wasn't, like, uh, physically no, appealing. No, he was scary. Scary black men also sell. Yes. So but Joshua, when you're pretty, like Muhammad used to claim, like, I'm pretty. Joshua, Joshua being somebody, he'll be in a Sierra video. He'll be in somebody video. I don't even know if like, Sierra sing anymore. He'll be in Rihanna's video this time next year if he gets a knockout. But it's like, you know, Ali was charismatic. Like, there's other things that you have to be. And the heavyweight division, you know, you say it stands the test of time, but nobody's given a shit about the heavyweight division since... Lennox Lewis, Lewis, yeah. and a, Lewis, an American. Holyfield? And then, if you want to, if you want to talk American heavyweights, we're talking twenty years. Holyfield, that nobody's. Right? Yeah, Holyfield and Tyson. Like nobody's giving a shit about the heavyweight. And he's still not and, American. He's still British, but still, people yeah, so, gravitated toward Lennox Lewis. As long as you can speak English, the U.S. will kind of claim you. And he's a black dude. So I, I won't go as far as saying I won't. I definitely won't say Deontay Wilder versus Anthony Joshua is bigger than Canelo and Golovkin. I think that's nonsense. But I think. That Joshua has the potential to be a good star if he's handled correctly. And what I mean by being handled correctly is it's in the States because he's going to be a big star overseas. He's going to sell out arenas. But it's always when it comes to boxing, you know, you talk like when I talked to Carl Frampton when I was in his hotel room before the fight with Santa Cruz. It's about which the limits test is really what happens in the States. That's what people care about. Can you draw in America? You know, because Frampton can sell out Belfast in a heartbeat. But there's nothing like a big fight in america and that really proves that you're a star so there's other things that have to go into making anthony joshua a star knocking out klitschko alone won't do it because I, guess people I, say, I have just a i don't know i guess an overappreciation for the heavyweight division maybe the nostalgia is now getting me yeah, that maybe. 90s nostalgia where i am super thirst for a heavyweight superstar but i think a lot of people feel the same way i do well, we'll see. I just don't think it'll be bigger than Canelo and, and Triple G right now. We, like, There's a lot of things that have to go into Anthony Joshua. Well, first, he's got to win this fucking fight. Yes, <laughs> that's, that's, we'll that's, that's very true. Um, first, we got to take a break because we got to come back. We got to talk UFC Houston and then preview UFC 208. So you guys stay right there. Quick word from the sponsors. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, before we continue to talk more combat sports, we got to give another thanks to Casper Mattresses. Casper Mattresses combine two technologies, springing latex foam and supportive memory foam to create an award-winning sleep surface. Have y'all ever slept on memory foam? It's like floating on air. It's that great. And this is how we get our sleep. So you guys make sure that you check it out. Casper Mattresses are made in the USA and have free shipping. And returns to the U.S. and Canada. Shout out to the Great North. You can buy your Casper mattress easy online. And it's completely risk free. Look dude, you spend like a third of your life sleeping. And Casper understands the importance of trying out a mattress before you commit. Look, so if you aren't satisfied with the Casper mattress, you got a 100 day period. Yeah, that's right. 100 days. You know like 100 days of sleeping. By, by about that time, I think I know if I like my mattress. So get a Casper mattress for $500 for a twin or $950 for a king size. And you can save an additional $50 towards your Casper mattress by going to casper.com backslash the corner and entering the promo code the corner. That's Casper.com backslash the corner. Promo code the corner to save $50 towards your Casper purchase. Terms and conditions apply. Look, again, man, I like to sleep and these things are for real. All right. Shout out to the sponsors one more time. Um, we're here to talk UFC, right? We had a UFC card last weekend. We have one this weekend. We got one the weekend after. Whew, it's an upswing. 
in the UFC. No days off. No rest in the UFC. Um, UFC Houston, right before the Super Bowl. Always a fun card. I will say, and I once again, I haven't. We no one's seen this card coming up at UFC 208 in Brooklyn. But on paper, I'm not expecting much. I would say last week's UFC Houston card is going to be better than UFC 208 when it's all said and done. Like honestly, uh, first we had the return of Korean Zombie. Three yes. years, three years gone. Yeah, I, I I didn't call him flattening Dennis Bermudez in the first round with a three and a half year absence. Um, but the Korean Zombie is back, and now it's like everybody wants to see Korean Zombie fight anybody in the featherweight division. So. Um, props to Korean Zombie. I feel bad for Dennis Bermudez. He just got caught with one. He got caught with a nasty uppercut. Went went straight down. But uh, good for Korean Zombie. He's good for the sport. People love that guy. Chan Sung Jung is a guy who's just he's been around for a while. Um, he's had some of the great fights, uh, and he's also had some wonderful finishes. I mean, dude, he's one of the few people who owns a twister finish in MMA. Period. Yo, I didn't. I never seen that before him. So I, I didn't know it had a name. He's he's guaranteed action, which is something that everyone always loves. Cool nickname Mm. plus guaranteed action, can't fail. Uh, Featherweight division is right now one of my favorite divisions. It's like the welterweight division because there's not too many wrestlers. There's not too many ground and pound guys. Everyone's throwing hands. And those are the fights I like to see. And he fits right into that division. Like He slides right back in. He's like, three years? Who cares? Uh, yeah, you're right. It's, I mean, that's featherweights is a, is a fun division. It'd be even more fun if Conor McGregor was back, but you know, even without him, you know, Cub Swanson, Frankie Edgar, uh, Jose Aldo, whatever he decides to do with his life, um, you know, Yair Rodriguez. It's like there's just a ton of great fights there. Still have Holloway. Yeah, oh, yeah, of at course. The top, they're I mean, they're still, in a champion. Yeah, still um, have uh, Holloway at the top. I, I I personally don't think Aldo returns to fight in that division. Um, especially yeah. without Connor. So I, I'm just considering Holloway the champion. Call me crazy, but I don't think we see those two fight. I, I think Aldo waits in line and tries to just bully the division out, you know, beyond Khabib at 155 and get one more shot at Connor up there. Yeah, and he's got some work to do because that light division is still very, very tough. Um, and, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. If this is what Jose Aldo needs to do and he wants to chase Conor McGregor, I think he needs to run through the gamut of the lightweight division. Like, you need to fight oh, those I, guys. Yeah, I think he's just going to take one. I think he's going to take the loser of Khabib versus El Kukui, um and set himself up for a number one contenders match. I mean, if that's the case, I mean, you know. I don't think he wants so to much... run the gamut. He has a lot of fights under his belt, man. A lot. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if he got time to run through everybody again. Uh, no, it's true. It's just I, I just in order. I just feel like as a former champion who got installed as an interim champion, you don't get the benefit of going straight to a title shot upon entering a new division. I think you have to fight your way there, whether you like it or not. I just think that's the way it should be. But this is the new era of the UFC, and yeah, I don't know which way they go because yes, I mean, storyline sell. You know, I wouldn't mind seeing Jose Aldo have to fight um, Eddie Alvarez to work his way back up, or even making his debut against a Michael Johnson, for instance, you know, and then and then if you get past them, then you fight, you know, who's ever in the top spot, whether it be El Kukui or Khabib, you know, whoever it is, 
work your way up. I just don't – I'm not a big fan of just guys like, oh, I'm leaving my division. All right, I need a title shot. Like, why? You didn't get a title – like, you could barely get a title shot in the division that you're in. Yeah. You had to wait for Connor to leave. So work your ass – work your way back up. If Jose Allen was in the featherweight division, he'd have to fight Max Holloway. So – He would because they'd be waiting on Connor still. Yeah. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, but, um, yeah, the featherweight division is full of excitement right now. Yeah, other UFC Houston fights. Uh, Felice Herrig with the upset win. Man. We didn't see that uh, coming at all. We nah, called her man, American Ninja Warrior. <laughs> yeah, like, look. So Alexa, disrespectful. Like, Alexa Grasso, she's young. I know she's got a way to go. Young Mexican talent. She's good, but everything was off with her in this fight. And Felice Herrig, who who has never been nothing special. I mean, she's got on a couple win streaks. And, you know, we talked about her having a, a, a great physique, but that's about it. She... Dominate didn't dominate, but she won pretty much every aspect of this fight. She won um, on the ground exchanges. Yeah, I mean the stand up, the ground, like she looked good in this fight. So I don't know if this is a resurgence for Felice Herrick, but uh, this is a good fight for her. Um, I mean, we've seen we've seen people cross promotions before, and then that first fight gets them. Eddie Alvarez yeah. comes to mind. You know, it's just that first fight's a doozy in the UFC. There's no way to prepare for it, but then you get your feet on the ground and then you keep going. So I think Alexa will be fine moving forward. Yeah. Also, we had Angela Hill and uh, Jessica Andrade, who's, you know, I, like I said last week, it's just a horrible matchup for Angie. But and she lost the decision. Um, Andrade is going to get the next title shot against Joanna and Jacek. So I'm not mad at that, you know, but I think Angie put on a good enough performance to keep her in the UFC. Uh, oh, you know, yeah. I mean, come on. That was one hell of a fight. Fight of the night. Um, I can listen with the other cards. With other cards scheduled for this month, I can see this holding on to the fight of the month. Yeah. My fight of the month vote. Angie didn't back down at all. She has one hell of a chin. She does, and she's evolved, man. I mean, she's a kickboxer, but she's she's getting better. And I think there's a lot of women, like I said before, that she can beat in the strawweight division. Yeah. Andrade just is just a big chick. Yeah, Andrade is just, she's a frightening process, person to deal with because she's coming down. But she only knows one way, which is forward. And she's got a strong chin and she's got heavy hands, which is a recipe for disaster for a majority of the women's strawweight division because you don't know how to deal with somebody that just doesn't stop coming at you. So props to Andrade. She'll get the fight with Njacek. I still think Njacek wins that fight, but I think it could be interesting with Andrade putting the pressure on her. Um, but I hope I, I hope Angie Hill gets – I don't want to get a softball, but give her – you know. Give her; she's not even ranked. So let her. Let's get her back rank and work her way up. Yeah, if, I mean, if nothing else, for I'm the, not for against the way Paige. Yeah, I mean her versus Paige. Um, it's a fight. You know, she's not guaranteed to win, but I, I think that's a good matchup for her. Um, Rose is a little bit still too tough for her. I think. I don't even think you need to go that high. I mean, look down. You know, further down Cookie the list. Monster? Is Carla ever come? Like Carla? I mean, Carla's a bad. She's a bad matchup for anybody who's. Well, she's a bad matchup for pretty much anybody who's not Joanna because she wrestles. Um, but if you look at the rest of the women's strawweight division, it's there's there's you know there's Tisha Torres, there's um, Jessica Aguilar. I mean Jessica Penny, Juliana Lima. She can fight any of those. Valerie Letourneau against Angie Hill would be a good fight. Yeah. So the bottom half of the top fifteen is is I'm totally fine with that. I just like to see Angie Hill with her weigh-in antics. I love that she dressed up as Saget for this one from Street Fighter. You know. You need people with personality. So I'm, I, I just I like what she brings to the table. I just thought she got thrown to the wolves against Andrade, but fortunately she put on a great performance that's going to keep her in the UFC a little bit longer. Definitely. And then we saw the upset of OSP 
Yo, he was in a title fight this time last year. He was preparing for a title fight against John Jones. How crazy is that? Uh, okay. So my critique on OSP has been the same as it ever was. Dude has a ton of power, but his technique is it leaves a lot to be desired. He throws wild shots. He doesn't ever throw anything really straight. It's always loopy. And, you know, he looks very sloppy in there. But somehow it works against, you know, other light heavyweights. But against this guy, it just didn't. Not Vulcan. And, or Zulcan. No. What, what, Vulcan? Like the Vulcan <laughs> touch? <laughs> but, you know, ultimately, it's, it's OSP back to the drawing boards. You know, he's got he's to fall down this ladder. He needs to be in the bottom half of the, the light heavyweight division, which is thin as it is. Um it just makes you question the John Jones performance because it was almost similar in a sense. Like John Jones wasn't extremely dominant, but he won the fight. This guy did kind of the same thing. Yeah, but is Volcan John Jones? How bad was John Jones? I think DC washes John Jones if they fight on that night. Um, and that night, yes, I do. I agree. I just don't know where John Jones is going to be now. But once again, that was him coming off of a year layoff. I think he's yeah. coming off another year layoff. So are we going to see the same rusty John Jones again? Uh, who Does he take you know DC more seriously or Rumble more seriously? The fact that he's still getting an immediate title shot is mind-boggling. Yeah. Um, is. The only other fight I wanted to talk about was the nasty, nasty knockout by Marcel Fortuna against Anthony Hamilton. Fortuna's a <laughs> tiny dude. He was, he was like 210. Yeah, he was outweighed division. by like, like 50 pounds against this guy. And he worked him with that right hand. And Anthony Hamilton, you know, just... He ain't the real Anthony Hamilton. How about that? Only Anthony Hamilton I recognize now is an R&B singer. Yeah, I mean, this is it. Yeah. He need to change his name. It's a pretty brutal knockout. And I mean, he, you know, he face planted, you know, it, and it literally it wasn't like any part of his body touched the canvas except for his face. That was the first thing that hit. Um, yeah, man. I mean, yeah, we got some entertainment in this fight night card. So you know, right before the Super Bowl, so. It was it was a uh, it was a good card to watch. We had some entertainment. Gonna be tough for two hundred eight to top it, but let's talk two hundred eight right now. Um, coming up this weekend, headlined by Holly Holm and Jermaine Duranime. Um, we'll talk about that in a second. I guess we'll save that one for last. Looking through the undercard, there's some names that are familiar, but no matchups that I really am interested in. We have uh, Ian McCall. It's always a great fight. Um, but I don't know anything about Jared Brooks. Then there's Nick Lentz, Wilson Reyes. They're they're not fighting. Like, everyone's fighting someone else. Why couldn't we have Ian McCall versus Wilson Reyes? Like, something like that. Um, a good matchup where we know both people and we're invested. I don't see any of that on the preliminary cards. Yeah, I mean, this card, I mean, this card overall was has been weak from the day it was announced. So, um, you know, McCall, I'm just happy this guy is getting a fight. And I... I I can't even say that because the dude can be like his last opponent and just lose it at the scale. I was so, about to say, there's still time. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, McCall hasn't had a fight because his opponents keep falling out. So wherever Jared Brooks is, I mean, dude, you got a lot of pressure, man. You better make it into the octagon. That's all we need to see. But overall, yeah, this isn't a car that's going to get generate a ton of interest um, from the top down. It's just it's it's not interesting. This is your weakest pay per view, and I hope this isn't a sign of things to come for future pay per views. Obviously, two hundred nine is better. But uh, and two eleven seems like it's going to be decent too, and two ten. But dude, two ten looks like it could be really good. But once again, which is odd because people will flock the New York fighters will flock to fight in Buffalo, but not in Brooklyn. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, this one just seems like a hiccup, and I, I think 
trying to save the Brooklyn date instead of the Los Angeles one was a mistake. Yeah, I mean, this is the first pay-per-view of the year. You know, they had to scratch the one in January because they didn't have anybody to fight. They could have scratched this one because they really didn't have anybody to fight. Yeah, it's it's ugly. Um, so let's go through main card. Dustin Poirier versus Jim Miller, which I expect to be a good fight. Uh, Poirier has to bounce back after getting KO'd in his last fight. We'll see if he can. I'm picking him to win, though. I have Poirier to beat Jim Miller. Yeah, I have Poirier, too. I think he, he, we've finally crossed where he's not a diamond in the rough anymore. He is who he is, and I don't think... I've always pegged him to be great as a featherweight. I thought he was you know, possibly a future champion in the featherweight division. I pegged him to be a contender as a lightweight. Now he's just kind of a guy, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I don't think there's much he can do to improve, and Jim Miller is going to really test where the Poirier belongs in this division. So I'm picking Poirier because I think you know the length, um, the technique. You know, I, there's, I think Poirier can win this fight off of sheer talent, but I think it's going to be a dog fight, and Jim Miller is not going to back down. Not at all. Um... Next fight up, light heavyweight fight, Glover Teixeira versus Jared. I God, I got to get better pronunciation. <laughs> Jared Cannonier. Cannonier. Uh, yeah. Hmm. Who fought on the Ultimate Fighter uh, finale against uh, Ian Kudalaba in a fight <laughs> where the two of them just, it was, uh, if you go back and watch the fight, it was like two zombies hitting each other. Like, it was no defense at a certain point. They're just blocking punches with the head, but they kept coming forward. Um, so, Cannonier can definitely take a punch. Against Glover Teixeira, though, different story so i'm picking glover be a knockout um and you know glover was just at mike tyson's gym recently in Catskill, new york so he got a chance to visit that's his childhood hero so i don't see glover going all the way to brooklyn to lose a fight against jared cannonier yeah i think glover wins this fight as well um nice bounce back fight and against someone who's willing to strike and if glover gets knocked out then it might be time for glover to you know think about hanging up the gloves but outside of that I think he wins and he extends the career. Maybe another semi-marquee fight in his future. Once again, that division is so thin. Glover's still top 10. Yeah, I mean, Glover could theoretically get a shot against Daniel Cormier. You know, if he wins a couple of fights. I mean, one way or another, these two haven't met. And they're running out of people to pair against one another who haven't met before. So a Glover to share a Daniel Cormier fight, if Cormier were to lose to Anthony Johnson, it's intriguing. Yeah, Um, I I think... Glover, if he wins, will have to fight Ryan Bader, and then that's damn near number one contender? Well, you're, you're thinking that Bader's sticking around. Um, Bader might be in Bellator. <laughs> so, that's true. That's you true. Know, and if that's what Bader chooses to do, good for him. So, and that'd be a mighty blow to, the, to an already weak light heavyweight division. But um, things can happen. So I think Glover's got some gas in the tank. He, he's still a formidable threat to quite a few guys. Just He got smoked by Anthony Johnson, but who doesn't? Who so, doesn't? <laughs> Uh, we have Jacare versus Tim Bosch. Uh, Jacare wins it, right? Like I, I thought personally that he was going to beat your, uh Romero on their last fight, and he came up a little short. But he made one hell of a push towards the end of that fight to try to win it. And I think Jacare is a guy who belongs at the top of the middleweight division. Will he ever be champion? Probably not. Age will probably prevent that. But you never know. Hell, I didn't think Bisping would be a middleweight champion, so you never know. That belt might just get passed around like a hot potato. Yeah, I mean, Jacare is, is, should win this fight. Bosch is he's a threat. He still can hit. He can still hit hard. He can still take a punch. Um, but Jacare's got the tools, especially the ground games, to win this fight. I'm um, picking Jacare probably by decision. 
But yeah, he's easily in the upper elite crust of the middleweight division, and hopefully they, you know, Rockhold can bounce back and they can run this, that rematch back. I was about to say this is supposed to be Rockhold, right? Well, it's supposed to be Rockhold in November, and then Rockhold got injured, so and they then had to he push it back. A model, and then we might not see him again. Gotcha. <laughs> um, yeah, we we don't know. Yeah, uh, Anderson Silva versus Derek Brunson, another middleweight matchup. Anderson Silva, this is interesting because if Anderson Silva wins. This is still a big name, and knowing who sits at the top, and you have Chris Weidman, of course, losing the last title shot, and then Romero. Romero's not a guy who's going to sell, and kind of with the close fight that Anderson Silva had with Michael Bisping last time, it's very possible Bisping just tries to hype up another Silva fight. He wants a big paycheck, so yeah. I, I, Silva with a win... Even with his first win since, like, what, 2014 against Nick Diaz? Um, if you want to count that as a wash, he hasn't had a win in Lord knows how long. Uh, he could be right back in the title picture. Well, the last time Anderson Silva won a fight, this is, I'm not even looking this up, was against Stefan Bonner as a light heavyweight. And that was in 2012 at UFC 153. The last time that Anderson Silva won a fight as a middleweight, you'd have to go back to, I think I have to look this up. It's Chael Sonnen. Uh, for the title in the rematch, July here we go, July seventh, two thousand twelve. That's the last time Anderson Silva won a fight as a middleweight. Damn. Yeah, Derek Brunson is a guy who just got flattened by Robert Whittaker. Very winnable fight for Anderson Silva. But what does it mean? What does it all really mean? Well, what it means is that Anderson Silva is nothing but money fights for the rest of the way. He's not. I don't think Anderson Silva is here to compete for a middleweight title. Um, Anderson Silva's already called out. Con- well, not even call him out. He said he'd love to fight Conor McGregor, which they're like worlds apart in, in a number of ways. But if Anderson Silva were to win, you know, yeah, he could get another shot at Michael Bisping. But I don't think Bisping can – I mean, he's going to have to fight Romero, and he's not going to be able to win that fight and just call out Anderson Silva with Jacare waiting in the wing. So um, Silva's – yeah, it's just big money fights. And I don't even know what the hell a big money fight is because Derek Brunson sure the hell isn't. So, no, but he's just having fun, man. They're going to pay yeah. him – He's checking off stuff on his bucket list, letting his kids see him fight. Like the DC fight. He's like, yo, yeah, let's fight. Like, fuck it. Let's go. Let's rescue a card. That's what he did. Let's rescue this card. It's no different than sparring in his gym, except he gets to do it against other people. At this point, he's just fighting for fun, which I don't mind. I I really don't mind. Like, he has no preconceptions of what he has to do. This is the perfect parallel to Manny Pacquiao's career. He's in the same place right now. It's the <laughs> yes. twilight of his career, and it's like, I'm not fighting anybody that's going to beat me. I'm just going to kind of fight guys. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and I'm going to do my little tour, and I'm going to have fun because I still love the sport. But you won't catch me in a super competitive fight. You, like, you won't catch Anderson Silva in there with Romero or Jacare or Rockhold. You know, I'd love to see him fight Rockhold for whatever reason. But Because uh, you're one of the people who thinks Rockhold would beat him just – like Chris Weidman beat him, but the yeah, UFC I, didn't give him the shot. I always thought that Rockhold was going to be the biggest thing in the middleweight division. He made a big mental blunder against Michael Bisping that kind of wrecked the entire division. But uh, regardless of that, Anderson Silva is going to be on his farewell tour. God knows how long this tour is going to be. But he's going to fight guys you know, ranked in the, the middle and lower half of the middleweight division. I don't see him competing for a title unless he just starts killing people again. You know, He's not going to fight a Gegard Mousasi. He's not going to fight a Jacare. Um, he may fight a Robert Whitaker. He may fight a, mm, Kevin Gaslam. He can fight. That, that's possible. Yeah, I don't think uh, Gaslam's like necessarily dangerous. So yeah, you know, that's that's a good matchup. 
he could fight Uriah Hall. So, I mean, the, the, all these people are possible um, opponents for Anderson Silva moving forward. It's just, yeah, the best years, like if you're tuning into UFC 208 to see that Anderson Silva that hit uh, Forrest Griffin with a fadeaway jab or, you know, it, it was just crushing the competition, you're not going to see that guy. He's long gone. Yeah, no, I mean, you shouldn't expect that at 42. No, so people are stupid. Nah, that's like expecting Jordan's Wizards to drop 80-something. Yeah, people are stupid. They see Anderson Silva is like, oh, I don't know who Derek Brunson is. You should kill him. No, you should win. I don't know if you should kill him. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, at least he didn't get done like poor BJ Penn. Yeah. He got thrown in there with like a Musasi or so, with like a killer. Um, Let's see. And then the main event, Holly Holm. This is Jermaine Deronime, first ever women's featherweight champion, and Cyborg isn't here. I feel like the poster, which was horrible, by the way, should have had Cyborg's face just looming in the background. Yeah, like in the cloud. Like they should have yeah. had like Cyborg <laughs> in the cloud hovering and casting this big, ugly shadow over the, the these women and then like <laughs> laughing. And because, you know, we don't know when the shadow of Cyborg is going to emerge after this latest little drug issue. But I tell you this much, she better get an immediate title shot. If John Jones is, she better. Well, absolutely. I mean, the women's featherweight division, you know, again, there's really it's not even populated. I'll be surprised to see who's in the top 15 come Monday after the fight. But uh, this fight in particular, if it's going to be a stand up fight. I might have to side with Jermaine in this fight. And and that's because of Jermaine's extensive experience in kickboxing and everything else. And what we've seen out of Holly Holm when she had to deal with, you know, uh, Shevchenko. And, you know, I mean, if you come at her, she's going to – Holly Holm will beat you. But if you stand at a certain distance and strike with her, you got a better chance of winning. And Holly Holm's not necessarily a killer either. So, yeah, I might have to side with Jermaine in this fight. Wow, that you're picking the upset. Uh, I'm not that bold. Holly Holm wins. I think it's the selling point. I think they're evenly matched. I couldn't find anything in Jermaine's resume that says she's fought anyone the caliber of Holly and won. As a matter of fact, her UFC loss came to Amanda Nunez, and she got knocked out in the first round. Yeah, but I think Amanda Nunez probably knocks out Holly Holm, too. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> like I, like for for when this fight was announced, I was like, oh yeah, they're just kind of giving the title to Holly Holm. But the more I thought about it, and the more I looked at Holly Holm's record, which I've said numerous times on this show, she's not looked impressive against anybody but Ronda Rousey. And we've seen Ronda's lack of hands. Right. So we knew what she took advantage of in that fight. It was just the, the recipe for disaster for Ronda. But against everybody else, Holly Holm has looked like a mortal. She's she's just looked like a regular person. So against somebody like Jermaine, who's a Dutch kickboxer who was had an excellent kickboxing career, there's a, there's a real chance that Jermaine could win this fight. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm picking Jermaine. I'm picking the upset. But, and, but that's based strictly off of the fact that Holly Holm in UFC fights, unless you're coming at her, she spends a lot of time sitting and waiting. Yeah. And I just don't know if ranks. Jermaine is as fluid as Valentina was and can well, outpoint that, Holly. Well, yeah, of course. But, I mean, you know, like Holly Holm was beating Misha Tate until she let Misha Tate get too close. Uh, Holly Holm struggled with Rocky Pennington, struggled mightily with Rocky Pennington. Um, she beat Marion Renault, and, of course, she beat Ronda Rousey. But in these fights before, you know, going to the UFC, she was kicking people's heads off, but, you know, it was against much lower-tier competition. So this could, be, this could be a very interesting fight. 
like I'm, I've just never been sold on Holly Holm, and I think we have overstated her victory against Ronda Rousey. Like, oh yeah, she's just going to run through the featherweight division. There's nothing as a given for Holly Holm. She lost to Misha Tate. She got choked out in a fight she was winning. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I had to do an article on it, and I was like, it's funny because this is the only time you'll see a woman entering a fight on a two-fight winning streak in the UFC, but yet she's the underdog to the woman entering the fight on a two-fight losing streak. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It and defies then, logic, but I'm still picking Holly Holm. <laughs> uh, like, like I said, I get why you would pick Holly Holm. It's just, and my, my, my last point to this Holly Holm conversation, we kind of put a button on this whole UFC thing in this podcast, is if you go through Holly Holm's highlight reel, there's one. Like you, you can't go through any of her fights and go, ah, that's good for B-roll. Let's put that in our highlight package. It's knocking out Ronda Rousey. That's it. One well placed I mean, kick. that is literally the only highlight that Holly Holm has had. All of her fights have been relatively boring. Yep. So we'll see. I mean, she's. I mean, maybe this is the perfect matchup for her, where she doesn't have to worry about the takedown and that can allow her to open up a little bit more. That's possible. But you know, that's what I said about Shevchenko when she went out and lost that shit. So. Uh, Who knows? Yeah. yeah. Um, before we get out of here and wrap up the UFC segment, Yoel Romero would like everyone to know that he has started a GoFundMe for Michael oh, Bisping's medical expenses. Um, <laughs> nothing is ever down once you put it on Twitter. So if you guys are feeling generous for the future and impending medical expenses of Michael Bisping, there's a way to help him out with that. I believe that his face will look worse than it looked against Hendo. And Yoel Romero is going to just ground and pound him until Bisping remembers that he's not a top-ranked fighter. Yeah, it's probably true. So, so um, we'll on see. that note, we are gone for this week. Andres is not dragging me into another long-winded wrestling <laughs> conversation next week. Uh, make sure you guys comment. Let us know how you're feeling. You can find us on all social media, at The Corner LSN. You can find me personally, at Kel Dansby, on all platforms. Andreas never drops his stuff anymore, but you know where to find him. Yep. And next week, we should have some big news on the show. Um, you guys will know it by next week, which is pretty cool. And hit us up. We want to get some more people on the show. Um, shout out to my dude who was in Vegas. Hit me up about being on the show. We got to get him on the show, get a couple other people. We got to start mixing in guests again. We're going to get back on it. It's crazy, hectic time, but we're figuring it out. So thanks for sticking with us. Till next week, though, we're out. Peace. At CVS Health Hub, you can see a provider, fill a prescription, and grab what you need all in one trip, even on evenings and weekends. That's healthier made easier. Visit a CVS Health Hub today. Services vary by location. See cvs.com slash health hub for details. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. 